0: Thank you for having me this morning. Do you mind if I stand down here? I really like to be with you because in reality, I'm with you. You know, as a pastor, I'm no different than you because we're all called a priesthood of believers, aren't we? We're all called to share the gospel, to be followers of Jesus. So when I'm down here and when I'm preaching, the first person that gets the message is me. Because I can't preach to you What I haven't already received. So I have to work through it in my own life before I can preach. How many of you here believe in the power of prayer? I believe if we had time today, we could walk around and you could share stories of some incredible things that God has done in your life. I love my wife can't be here today. She's at a favored women's conference up in Nashville, but Um, When we worked at the thrift store, I loved to watch her because she'd just see somebody and talk to them, and they'd have a prayer need, and she said, well, let's pray right here. And I don't care where we are. We could be in the middle of Walmart, and somebody could say they had a need, and she would say, may I pray for you right here? Because she understands and believes that there's a power in prayer. But the thing about prayer is, as much as prayer is powerful, Prayer can be very perplexing and confusing. In the book of Joshua chapter 10, Joshua, and I'm going to be going through a bunch of things here, and I'm going to pull you up in some other scripture here in a few minutes, but in Joshua chapter 10, Joshua is fighting a battle, and he needs some more time, and he prays to God, and he says, I need more time, and what does God do? Do you remember? He stopped the sun for an entire day. And even today as scientists go back they can find as they look back through the annals of time they can see where in fact there was a day where all of a sudden we have an extra day. But you know we have a couple of ladies at our church, Mary and Peggy that have been praying for a son and a brother for years to come and know the Lord. And he's still not walking with the Lord. Still not serving him. And then in 1 Kings 18. We'll all remember this story. Elijah is standing there with all the prophets of Baal and Azra. 850 of them, as a matter of fact. And they're praying and nothing's happening. And then Elijah prays after pouring water all over his sacrifice. And God brings down fire from heaven and destroys not only the sacrifice, but the altar itself. And that day, 850 prophets of Baal were executed. And the people of Israel turned back to God. Two years ago, my brother in law Holger, who lived here and went with church with us at Grace Point, died of cancer. Holger was a man of faith. And we were praying and we believed, we believed God was going to give him more time. And he didn't. Holger died about two years ago, next month. Prayer is complexing. How about Daniel? We all remember the story of Daniel. Daniel has been praying to God, and uh, because he wasn't praying to the emperor of Babylon, he was going to be fed to the lions. You remember that? And Daniel begins to pray, as was the custom of Daniel. So they put him in this lion's den with these hungry lions. In that particular day, the lions choose to go on a fast. And Daniel's life is spared. And then many of us around the world are praying for peace in places around the world like Ethiopia where people are being executed left and right or in the Ukraine. And yet war continues to rage. Innocent lives continue to be lost. Prayer can be extremely powerful. It's the most powerful force In the universe, prayer moves the hand of God. Prayer brings heaven to earth. And yet, prayer can be so very, very confusing. In John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, Jesus gave us these words And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that my Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. A couple of key words in there, a couple of key phrases. Whatever. Now, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but my dictionary tells me whatever means whatever. It's a pretty inclusive term, isn't it? So it says, Whatever you ask in my name. And then right below verse 14, it says, You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Those are some pretty inclusive terms. There's not a maybe, I might, ask anything in my name, and I do it. So the question I have today is, because I'll tell you, I've had this question in my own heart and in my own life is, what happens when you ask God to do it? you know he can do it. You've seen him do it in other people's lives. You've seen him do it in other situations. You've seen other miracles. You know that he should do it because his word says that he will do it, but he doesn't do it. Every single one of us have been in a situation that we've seen that happen. When I was writing this, I reflected on a daughter that we had that was born with brain damage. She'd be 42 now, she was born with brain damage, and for two years, she lived with us. And I remember getting up every night with her. We, she'd have seizures and have to walk, or, hold her in the middle of the night or spending the night in the hospital with her. And we prayed, believing God would heal her. But when she was two years old, he took her home. And you ask the question, I prayed, I believed, I trusted. Your word said, ask anything in your name, and I will do it. And he doesn't. Is there something wrong? Is God not listening? Maybe God's taking a vacation or he's taking some time off. Or maybe it's just not that important. So why didn't God answer my prayer? Now I think that's a legitimate question, and I think we can ask God that question. Because I think God has big enough shoulders to allow us to ask Him questions. And I think He wants us to ask, us que- ask Him questions. I think God's far more comfortable and far happier with us coming to Him, it's just purely just asking Him, God, why? There are a lot of why questions. Why do good people get injured? We were talking about that earlier. Why do good people get injured? And some things like evil people just continue to thrive. There are a lot of questions why, but I think God would rather us come and ask why than to internalize it and sulk on it. and. And, and push back from Him. So, why? Well, I think to begin with, the first thing we need to do is just to understand a little bit about the nature of God and the nature of prayer. There are two principles I want us to, to focus on, and there'll be sort of central focus on this, and then we're going to look at four answers that Scripture gives us as to why God may not answer a particular prayer. To begin with, we have to understand that the nature of God is that God is sovereign. God is the main character, he's the author, and he is the director of the story. It is about him. And one of the problems that we have when it comes to prayer is that we often have trouble with it. we're not the main character. Does anybody, does anybody in here like me want to confess that sometimes when troubles are going on in my life, I begin to think I'm the main character. Right. I begin to focus on me. But see, God wants us to realize through all of this, he wants us to learn and to understand he's the main character. It's about him. God doesn't exist to serve. We exist to serve Him. So God is sovereign; He's not He's not our spiritual Santa Claus. Saint Nicholas Night, my wife's German. Uh, so on Saint Nicholas Night, on December the seventh, Saint Nicholas comes, and you put your shoes underneath your bed, and if you've been a good little boy or girl, he'll come and bring you candies and fruits and nuts. But if you haven't been a good little boy or girl, he brings a ruta, and a ruta is a bunch of switches in a, tied up in a nice red ribbon that your parents can use to discipline you. One year, my wife and her twin sister got rutas. They cried all day. St. Nicholas made a special trip the next night. But we don't serve that kind of God, that when we're good, he comes, and, and blesses us and when we're just not so good he brings us a ruta he's not that kind of god he's also not a push button god he's not the god that we pull up we push the button put in our order drive up to the window and get it he's not that kind of god because remember it is this prayer is about him it's not about us getting what we want so the first thing I want us to remember as we're looking at this, God is sovereign. The second thing I want us to look about and to understand as part, well, as part of that is to understand is God is not so much interested in being a push-button God as he is interested in being a relational God. God wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us. He wants to have a personal relationship to where we walk and talk together. Do you realize the greatest separation that took place on the bad side is the separation that took place at the time of Adam and Eve, and it said they walked daily with God, and that relationship was broken when they no longer walked with God, and they left what God had created perfectly for humankind and had to go to the world that was evil because they had been separated from God. Why? Because that relationship had been broken. God continually works to restore that relationship. The second thing is the principle of prayer. The purpose of prayer isn't to get God to do our will. And sometimes I get caught up in thinking, when I pray it's to get God to do what I need to do. That's why we have sometimes when we pray, our prayers are... Are more lean toward request than they are just talking and listening to God. But see, the purpose of prayer is to know God so that we can know his will. And that's extremely important for us to begin, because when we pray, we're not praying to get our will done, we're not praying to get the things that we want, we're praying to get to know God so that we can know the will of God. I remember when I first met Barbara. My world turned upside down, didn't it, Leanne? Leanne remembers those days. All the things I've been doing, exercising, eating right, taking care, they all went out the window because I went over and sat at her house because I wanted to see her. I wanted to get to know her. We've been married 35 years, and I still want to get to know her. I want to know her more every day. And I learn things about her every day. She, I told her something the other day. I've been writing this thing. My oldest daughter got me something for Christmas last year called Story Worth. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but every week I get a question, and I answer that question, and it'll be put in a book. And I answered one of the questions, and my wife said, I never knew that, i have never had an occasion to share it. But it comes because we're always communicating, and God wants to have that kind of communication to where we know him. And then when we know him, we will know what's at the center of his heart and what he wants. So we have to understand that God is sovereign and that the purpose of prayer is to know God and to know his will. So the verse we just read, Jesus said, I'll do anything you ask. So let's go back to the central question of the day. Why didn't he answer it? Why did Holger die? Every single one of you could ask a question. I prayed for this. Why did it happen this way? Why didn't it happen the way I prayed for it? I think the best way to really find answers as to why and how God answers prayers to go to other scripture, because scripture is best interpreted by scripture. So for the first thing I want us to look at and to understand is maybe you have a broken relationship. I want us to take a look at another scripture here. Look at Mark 11, 24 through 25. It says, Therefore, I tell you, what are you whatever you ask for in prayer, Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Very similar to what we just heard, isn't it? But then he adds this. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. If you hold anything against anyone. I was sitting here, Melanie was having devotions, with a praise team this morning and one of the things they talked about is when evil comes to you how do you respond to that evil? How do you respond to those people that criticize you? Do you respond to them in love or do you respond to them by getting angry at them and maybe pushing them out of your life or saying something about them you shouldn't have said? How do you respond? Because see those broken relationships can break the relationship we've had with God In the mind of Jesus, in the heart of Jesus, relationship was extremely important. You remember what he told the disciples? They will know that you are my disciples by the way you, does anybody remember? By the way you love one another. That's how you're going to stand out and be different. I read a book a few months ago, and it was about how the early church functioned. And the early church so loved others and so took care of like the poor and the orphans and they even had funeral services for the poor and had burial for the poor, which wasn't done in that culture. That the people, even though they were being persecuted, people were coming to Christianity because they said the way they love and care for one another is so different than the world. We want a part of that. And Jesus is saying relationship's important. In fact, if you don't believe it, what 's the greatest command? love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your mind with all your body and with all your strength, and love your neighbor yourself and don 't forget your neighbor's your enemy. Relationship is extremely important to Jesus. Think about this from a personal experience, and probably all of us if you've got more than one child you probably experienced this before, but whenever you have Children, they've had one of those days that they've just argued and fought all day long. They can't get along. And you as a parent are having to listen to this. You're having to break up fights. You're having to stop all of this going on. And then they tell you later in the evening and said, can I go to my friend's house and spend the night? Can I go to the movie? Can I go get this or that? Generally, if they've had a day where they have been fighting with one another, what's the first answer you're going to give them? No. no. But if all day long they have played well together, they've encouraged one another and they've done well, and they ask you the same question, you're more inclined to say yes. And think about what God, if we're fighting with one another, if we've got anger with some, one another, God's going to look down and say, get the relationship right, then we'll talk. Because relationship is so extremely important to me. Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Your offering doesn't mean anything if there's a wrong relationship, if there's disharmony between you and someone else. What does he say? Do your altar and then go take care of your relationship. Get up, go reconcile with them, then come and bring your altar. Why? Because relationship is important. We can't offer in the right mindset. We can't pray in the right mindset when there's disagreement, when there's discontent among us. Husbands, this next one's specifically written to us, but I think it applies to wives as well. It says, "Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives, and treat them with the respect as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers." Do you know what? If we're not treating our wives like we're called to treat our wives, we can't expect God to answer our prayers. It says here, "So that nothing will hinder your prayers." If I'm treating my wife in a disrespectful way, my prayers are going to be hindered because relationship is extremely important. We have this incredible responsibility we have as husbands to treat our wives with the respect that they deserve. But not just because it's the right thing to do, it hinders our prayers if we don't. Relationship is extremely critical. There may be some in here, and I know that I've thought many times about relationships that I've had to go and correct because of words I've said or things I've thought. And it's extremely important that we do that. You may be sitting here even today saying, I need to get some relationships straight. But maybe it's not a relationship issue. Maybe you've got your relationships all in good order. Number two, it could be that you have the wrong motives, that you're paying for the wrong reasons. In Luke 18, verses 10 through 14, we see an excellent example of this. It said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, Oh God, I thank you that I am not like the other people the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said these words, I tell you that this man... Rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We see a Pharisee that through his prayers was exalting and lifting himself up. He was self-righteous, and he was lifting himself up. Now, I'm sure nobody in here is going to pray a prayer like that. But sometimes we begin to pray that God will bless us financially that God will just give us that right job, that God will give us an increase, that we'll get that pay raise, or that we'll make sales so we'll get that bonus. Never once giving thought to paying tithes on that. Never once thinking about using that money to take care of the least of these. But thinking about that money purely for selfish persons so I can get the next new car, the next newest phone, iPhone, the next newest TV the next newest, whatever it is, the bigger house. Or maybe we pray for some hair on our head, not to glorify God, but so that we look better, or longer fingernails. There's so many things that we can pray for just because we want them, just because they make us feel better. And we have to be careful that we we pray with the right motive are we praying to glorify god or are we praying to satisfy self that's the thing that we have to consider when we're praying and we have to look carefully at our motives am i praying out of my own self interest or am i praying to glorify god So maybe you're sitting there thinking, I don't have that problem. Now, I have had that problem on occasion. I was the first to admit that for years I wouldn't listen to what God wanted me to do because I liked making money, and I made a lot of money. And I even negotiated with God. I said, I can do that and be a children's pastor at the same time and still make a lot of money. God finally took money away from me, said, okay, are you willing to listen now? Um. we can get to the point, we do it out of our own motivation, our own interest. I listened to some of the young people. I listened to one of my daughters talking, and and her husband graduated from Georgia Tech. And um, that's tough (laughs) right now, isn't it? But at least he got an education. He had two degrees from Georgia Tech. And um, all their friends, I mean, they've got friends, you know, They're in their 40s. They've got friends who've already retired, making millions of dollars. They've started business. One started a business in college. He was, by 30, he had retired. And so they try to keep up with that lifestyle. And so everything they do is to try to keep up with that lifestyle. And sometimes we try to keep a lifestyle, and we pray to God to help us keep that lifestyle. And God says, does that glorify me? Does that lifestyle glorify me? I read about a pastor, I actually heard him speak at 12 Stones at a conference, and four times he's given away everything he's had. His home, his savings account, his checking account, his cars, everything, because God's asked him to do it. Now, he said, don't, don't try this unless God asks him. He said, don't try it unless God tells your wife the same thing. But he said, I've been given, the, he said, I've, my spiritual gift is giving. But he said, every time I've done it, God has given it back. And when he's given it back, he gives it back to give. And he said, my life is just a river. My life is a channel for things that God has given me to flow. And too often when we're praying for material things, it's for a lake for us to consume. So maybe that's not your problem. Maybe you look at that and say, I got that one. I got the relationships right. Well, maybe you don't believe God will do it. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this, but have you ever prayed for something, but deep in your heart, you really didn't feel like it was going to happen? I remember a guy, my wife and I, do hang around with sinners. I'll confess that. We purposely go to places where sinners are because we feel like we can't share the gospel as well in the church as we can where the sinners are. So we go to them, and um, as we're, you know, we're working with sinners, there was one guy, and I'm just thinking, I don't know why I prayed for him. That guy would never give his heart to Christ. He is that far gone. And, and for me to try to pray for him it was a block because I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe. And sure enough, somebody led him to Christ, somebody that believed. Oftentimes, we don't believe. You'll remember the story of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and he comes down off the mountain, and as soon as he comes off the mountain, he walks into the valley, and he walks into a heated debate. Uh, it wasn't a heated debate. It was an argument. And if you remember, the, the, the genesis of the argument was that there was a father who had brought his, his demon-possessed son to the disciples who remained at the bottom of the hill to have the demon cast out, and they couldn't do it. And, of course, at that point, the Pharisees had to jump in and and give their 10 cents worth because now they had something to say, oh, this doesn't work. And Jesus comes down and asks the father what happened. The father said, well, my son's demon-possessed. I brought him. He sort of went through the story. And Jesus looked around. If you'll remember, these words are so. He looked around at his disciples, and he said, you perverse generation. Where's your faith? That is some pretty strong words, perverse. Those are words usually reserved for sinners. But Jesus used those particular words for his disciples and their lack of faith. Do you know these are the same disciples who'd been sent out a short time before and Jesus had given them power to cast out demons and make people well, but they didn't believe? And then what the Father said. The Father tells Jesus, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. And I love these words. But if you can do anything, sometimes that's the way we pray. But if you can do anything, and Jesus, he said, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And what did Jesus say? If you can, is that a question? If you can, the Son of God, I'm living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Of course I can. And so what did Jesus say? Um, Everything is possible for one who believes. Now, I love this because the Father, this is the way we all need to be. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. What do you think he was saying there? I believe some, but I need to believe more. Give me the belief that I need to see it done. I believe intellectually that it can be done, but give me that ability to believe in such a way that it actually is done. And oftentimes when we pray, we have a challenge actually believing that God will do it. And we continue to pray and continue to pray all the time in the back of our minds saying, if you can do it. And Jesus saying, if I can? Everything's possible. This whole idea of this faith is an incredible thing. In, in, in Matthew 9, 22, This woman had been bleeding for 12 years, and Jesus said, Your faith has healed you. In Luke 7, 50, the immoral woman was brought to Jesus and came to Jesus, and he says, Your faith has saved you. Two blind men came to Jesus, begging Jesus to heal them. And then Jesus said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. There's story after story after story in the Bible of when their faith was where it needed to be. Jesus moved because Jesus says, if I can't, everything's possible. Your faith matters. Do you believe? Do you live in that life that says, he can do it, he can do it, I believe, there's no doubt. So let's think about it. My relationships are right. My motives are right. I actually believe. And the prayer still not answered. Maybe in number 4, maybe God has something different. In 1 John 5:14 through 15. reads like this, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. And if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. I'm reminded as I read that scripture, it says, when we know not what to ask, the Holy Spirit is uttering to the Father what we need. The Spirit is already praying for what we actually need. The Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what that thorn is. There's been a lot of speculation. Was it malaria? Was it possibly he had epilepsy? Was he going blind? Maybe he had glaucoma, something like that. Lynn Sweet says, that the thorn in his flesh, that he was never taken serious, he was so often not taken serious as one of the apostles. Because Paul starts all of his letters and he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. You need to understand that. I'm writing you with serious authority. It says that in the scriptures, he pleaded, pleaded. He didn't just ask. He pleaded with God three long seasons. Now, we don't know how three long seasons is, but this wasn't one just prayer. This was a tenuous prayer of Paul, and this was a heartfelt prayer of Paul. Paul pleaded with Jesus to heal him of this thorn in the flesh, whatever it was. And you remember, the words of Christ came to him. You remember what Jesus told him? He said, my grace is sufficient. Paul, you're going to live with this thorn in your flesh. My grace is sufficient. I'm going to carry you through this. And I'm going to use that thorn in the flesh for my glory. Think about it. Paul preached the gospel for 30 years in major cities all throughout the Mediterranean basin. 30 years he preached the gospel. Paul was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was imprisoned. Snake bitten. In first, in first Corinthians 5, he writes, this, he chronicles what all happened to him. I'll be honest. I want God to work in my life, but I'm not praying for that. Right. Okay, I don't want I said, can I learn an easier way? Is there a better way to learn? But Paul went through all of this. And yet through it all, God's grace was sufficient. Paul wrote one-third of the New Testament. So one-third of what we know and what we learn in the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. My power is perfect in your weakness. When I am weak, he is strong. Paul understood this and even though he had pleaded three long seasons God answered his prayer but he didn't answer it the way Paul asked for it God answered it in the way that would bring glory to him and build the kingdom of God sometimes we pray I want to get this house I want to get this job I want to marry this person I want this I want that but when we pray sincerely and truly trust God, we may not exactly like at first what we get. We may not like it, but we find out that over time we realize that whatever God had different was better. And any of you like me at kids, somebody in the family would give you, when you're a little kid, they'd give you clothes. You ever remember that? It's like, <laughs> I can get that any time of the year and I really don't care. but you know what? You needed them. It was something you absolutely needed, and you couldn't go without them. They knew better than you knew what you needed. God knows better than we do what we need, and so when we pray sincerely, surrender to him, he's going to give us the best, and over time, we begin to realize that, that God's going to give us the best. You know, the people of Israel prayed for a Messiah. There were about 450 silent years where there wasn't a prophet speaking, but during that entire time, they were praying, and there was this great anticipation the Messiah was going to come. And when the Messiah came, they didn't recognize him because he didn't look like the Messiah that they had been praying for. But it was the exact Messiah that God had been planning far better than anything they had been preparing for. We've got to realize that God answers prayers in different ways than we think. So our eyes have to be open to what his answer is rather than on some preconceived notion of what we think the answer ought to be. So the question becomes then, why bother praying? If God's going to do what he wants to do, in a sense, why bother praying? We pray because the purpose of prayer isn't to get our will. It's not to get God to do our will. But the purpose of prayer is to know God so that we can do his will. We pray to get into a closer relationship with God so that we can know him. And when we know him, we will know what he wants. I don't know if any of you have ever read the book, The Seven Love Languages. If you haven't, it's a good thing. I'll be doing some marriage counseling this week, and I don't know if I'm at the point of bringing that up, but there comes a point. You know, we all have a love language. My wife's love language is, I love you. And she'll walk around every morning, I love you. Now, don't tell her this. That doesn't float my boat. You know, she doesn't need to tell me she loves you. I know she loves me, okay? My love language are acts of service or acts of good. So if she bakes a cake, <laughs> that is love. Yeah, she, so she bakes desserts all the time, as you can tell. That's love for me. So whenever one of the problems you have in marriage is if you know your love language, how do you treat the other person? You love them the way you like to receive love. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. That's natural. So my wife, when she wakes up, when I wake her up in the morning, especially if we're going into church together or something like that, there's a cup of coffee or a cup of tea beside the bed ready for her because I want her to have it when it's up. There are things I do for her because that's my love language. But if I really love her, what do I need to do? I love you. So I've got to make sure that I put some whole bunch of I love you's in there. But I only know that because I've been with her 35 years and I've gotten to know her. And when I know her, I know what makes her happy. I know how to please her 95% of the time. I wish I had it down 100% of the time. But the reality of it is, I know what she needs and wants because I know her. She knows what I need and what I want, how I respond to love because she knows me. When we know God, when we come to know him, when we spend that time in prayer to where we really get to know who he is, then we begin to know what pleases him. And then our praying begins to change because we no longer pray out of selfish ambition. no longer pray with lack of faith, but we begin to pray his prayer. We begin to pray what he wants us to pray. So when we begin to pray, we're praying to come to know him so that we can know his will. Once we know his will, we begin to see what he wants us to do. The greatest, the greatest example of this is Jesus in Gethsemane. Father, if there's any way to remove this cup, but not what I want, it's what you want. And then on the third time, he said, okay, I know what you want. And I'm going to go through it. I know this, I'm going, it's the cross. And that's where I'm headed. But I'm going there, Father, because I know, I know you and I know what you want because I'm that close to you. We are called to be that kind of close to Him. So, have you been in a prayer slump? You ever get in prayer slumps? I get in prayer slumps sometimes. I believe God can. I believe God will. And even if He doesn't, I still believe. I think that's the answer to a prayer slump. I believe God can. I believe God will, even if he doesn't, I still believe. Do you still believe? That's the question. When God doesn't answer the prayer the way you think the prayer ought to be answered, when you pray for Holger for two years, and he's suffering with his cancer, believing that God's going to heal him, really believing that God's going to heal him, and then Holger passes away, can you still believe? I was reading a post that Pastor that uh, pastor spencer's wife april posted the day after abby was involved in the serious car wreck and at the time she was involved at that time she was not responsive they were really at a down moment because they said up to this point they said she's not responsive because she's sedated and then they said no we're not sedating her now she's just not responsive and I remember seeing Pastor or, or I remember seeing April post this, or Pastor Spencer posted this, that April said, April was standing there by her bed and said, Lord, we're praying for her healing. But if you don't give her back to us, our faith is still in you. That's a prayer that says, I know God can. I believe God can. I believe God will. And even if He still doesn't do it i still believe why god is sovereign he's got a bigger picture and a bigger plan than we have we're not the main player he is and prayer the purpose of prayer is to know god so we can know his will i don't know where you are i know that if the church really begins to pray and believe way God's called us to believe we can turn the world around we can certainly turn our communities around we can certainly turn our families around I remember yesterday morning I was praying as the day started and I was praying Lord I want to see a revival in the church but I know it's got to start in here with me first I can't be praying for the church till you start with me and I know it's got to start in my home first I want to see it start in my family. I want to see it start in my church. I can't expect it to start in the community if I don't see it in the church. And I just began to pray that that would start there. And, and I remember as I was praying that and, and, and speaking that, it just had to come to my mind that, you know, the things I want to see sometimes have to start with me. You know, I've got to be the first one. It's got to start with I can't expect it to happen elsewhere if it doesn't happen in me first. So I, when it comes to prayer, I know that I, I want to see us become prayer warriors un, in, like we should be. But I realize if I don't start, I can't expect anybody else to start. It's got to start with me. So the question I ask myself, okay, am I in right relationship with everyone or are the relationships I need to straighten out? And the thing that became so apparent to me as I asked myself that question is, the other person doesn't even have to know we're in a bad relationship. I can just have ill feelings toward them that kind of makes me standoffish Or think things about them that I shouldn't think? Have I been praying with the right motives? Or have I been praying selfishly for things that will benefit me, but that aren't glorifying God and building His kingdom? Or has my faith been weak? Have I been praying and all along in the back of my mind saying, It's not going to happen? I don't think it'll happen. Or have I been praying in such a way that God's answering the prayers but I'm not seeing them because I don't like the answer that he has. I, gotta, I have my own answer. I know how it ought to be done and I'm not willing to see how he's answering it. Why isn't God answering our prayer? He's answering a prayer. If we're in the right relationship with him and then we have to believe and trust And then we have to decide that his answer is the right answer, even if it's not the answer that I expected. But he answered. And he knows what's best. Probably every single one of us in here have told our kids, I know what's best. And we do, because we look at it in perspective. I remember my kids telling me one time they were like 13, so you don't know what it's like to be 13 at the time, I said, I know more about 13 than you do. I was probably about 40 then. I know a lot more about 13 than you do about 40 because I've been there. So I want to encourage you to begin to take a look and evaluate your life of prayer and allow God to really begin to rate it. take a look at the scripture and what it says about it because God said, I want to answer your prayer. I'm here, but I want to know you more than I want to answer your prayer. I want to be the type of God that you come to and you walk with. He walks with me and he talks with me. A long life's narrow way. That old hymn. Or the old hymn, I I talk to him every morning in the garden, the secret garden of prayer. Those are solitude times that we have with him where we get to know him. The most important thing is to have a relationship with God. I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to close here in a second. But I just encourage you today if there is a broken relationship anywhere in your life I don't care how far back it goes I don't care how deep it goes I don't care how shallow it is maybe it's just just something you just thought in your mind that person just gets on your nerves I want you to correct that relationship however you need to correct it I want you to think about in that relationship how do i go about correcting that relationship there used to be a time in church when before you had communion people would get up and go and sit with somebody and said you know i'm sorry and we've sort of gotten away from that but still a good practice or just maybe you said i haven't been praying with the right motives I just want to submit my will to him, whatever he wants. That's what I want. And sometimes it's just a matter of saying, you know, I'm so strong-willed that I'm I'm praying for this, just believing no matter what God wants, I'm believing it's going to happen, rather than saying, I'm praying, but I want to pray in line with what you want me to pray. Or maybe, Lord, just give me the faith. Maybe we ought to ask, just like the Father did, I believe, help my unbelief. I've got some belief, but help me to just get rid of my unbelief so that I have no unbelief and that I can believe totally. And then just accept the answer that God gives us, whatever that answer is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God of relationship. Lord, we live in a world that Statistics tell us now and all that we see is that we live in a world that's lonely and we live in a culture, Lord, that people do not have a sense of purpose. And yet you are a God who wants personal relationship. The creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who holds all things in place, wants to have a personal relationship with us. Even to the point that we are the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, the sons and daughters of the Father. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to develop that kind of relationship to where we just, as the old song says, we just walk and talk with you. And then, Lord, I pray that our motives will be right. Lord, we live in a, a consumeristic culture. We live at a day and time, Lord, where uh, we, ha- we are so blessed with things that sometimes those things literally become our God. And, Lord, we begin praying for wrong things, for more wealth, for more of this and more of that. Lord, help us to pray with the right motive, a motive that lifts you up, that brings glory and honor to you. And then, Lord, sometimes our faith is just weak. And we just, Lord, we ask, just like the man did when his son was there, I believe Help my unbelief. Lord, we just want to believe to where there's no doubt in our mind that whatever we pray, as we uh, draw closer to you, you're going to answer that prayer. But then, Lord, you may answer it totally different than what we expected or in a way that we did not even comprehend. Let us be open and aware, so sensitive to your leadership that when you do answer, even if it's totally different than what we know or understand, that we receive that answer, and that Lord, we are willing to accept an answer that you give us that's different than what we anticipated. Now Lord, we thank you again for this time that we have together. We ask that you continue to be with us as we go throughout the day. Lord, this is the day that you've made. This is the Sabbath. May we have time to spend with you today, and may we find rest in our bodies and our minds and our spirits. And we'll give you the glory. We'll give you the honor, and we'll give you the praise. And everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you for being here today, and you're dismissed.